You're listening to the DCC Sermon Podcast. For more information on Dayton Christian Center, you can visit dcctx.church. Now let's join in for this week's message. Okay, so if you are taking notes today, I titled this message, Get Up and Praise the Lord. And that is borrowed, if it sounds familiar, it's because you've probably heard it. It is borrowed from the song Gratitude by Brandon Lake. And I was uh, listening to that last weekend. Last weekend was a really hard weekend for my family. Um, Kobe was asked to do something um, I never, I hope I never get asked to do. He had to preach, uh, officiate a funeral for a friend of ours who died kind of suddenly, unexpectedly. It felt very unfair. You, you were walking through your week going, I'm not even sure how to wrap my brain around this. Like, this doesn't feel right. And then, you know, when things like that happen, it just makes you feel very vulnerable, right? When you feel like you've been cheated and something unfair has happened. And, um, and I was getting the boys back and forth from my mom's house to Kobe's house, not wanting to leave him alone to have to walk through this, you know, wanting to be supportive as best I could. And, um, I was driving down the road and that song came on and, you know, it talks about just having gratitude, when you don't have anything else, when nothing else in your life makes sense, when you, it says that song, there's a lyric that says, I only have one response. And I just feel like as a people right now in this day and age, I don't know if you guys have hopped on Facebook lately, but there are people suffering everywhere. COVID has ravished our nation and it's ravished our county. More than that, even, then you have all this political unrest, social unrest. Everything just feels like everything's up in the air. Everything feels really unstable. And now more than ever, God needs a people who will know how to respond. And the only response that you need to know. You do not have to have a theology degree to respond in this day and age. You do not have to have lived through something terrible. All you need to know are these words, get up and praise the Lord. And it feels like sometimes, like David David in Psalms, whenever he was having to tell his soul how to respond, he was saying, oh my soul, bless the Lord. I know you don't know what to do right now. He was basically saying to himself, I'm in a place where I don't know what to do. I'm in a place where I don't have the answers. I don't have the words. I'm not sure how to put another foot in front of me, but I need to get up and praise the Lord. And whenever, you know, you're facing giants that feel like they are unsurmountable, maybe you're afraid that you're going to lose your job you know, because you don't want to get the Fauci ouchie, as Michael Knowles says. Maybe you're afraid of that, and that feels unsurmountable to you. You need to respond with, get up and praise the Lord. When you are overwhelmed by this new normal, are my kids ever going to have a normal life? Will they ever know what it's like to go to the grocery store and not see somebody masked up? I don't know. When this new normal feels overwhelming, get up 
and praise the Lord. When you're facing tragedy, loss, grief, more than ever, get up and praise the Lord. And like I said, when you just don't know what to do, we need to get up and praise the Lord. In 2 Samuel verse uh, chapter 12, this is David illustrating this. So David, if you know the story, you know that he has sinned against God. He has uh, taken a woman to be his lover (laughs) who was not his wife and who was in fact married to somebody else to cover up his tracks. He has basically ordered that this person die on the front lines in battle. And now Nathan, God sends Nathan, the prophet who is speaking for God in that time to David and says, what you did was wrong. God saw what you did. You thought you got away with that. And even though you are a man after God's heart, you will not escape the justice of the Lord. And so he sends Nathan to rebuke David. As soon as Nathan rebukes David, David recognizes that he sinned against God and begins to repent. And it says um, in verse 15, after Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get up from the ground, but he refused and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead for they thought while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. So how can we now tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. They were probably afraid he was going to kill himself. I would be afraid of that. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied. He is dead. Then David did something nobody expected him to do. The thing that we all need to remember today. This is how we respond. In verse 20, he says, then David got up from the ground after he had washed He put on lotions, changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. And what the world doesn't understand, what even Satan doesn't understand, is how a person who loves God can look at the face in the face of tragedy and say, but God, I still know you're good. But God, I still believe that you're good. God, I trust that you're good. Like the song says, I trust that you're not done yet. This may have happened, but you're not done yet. Um, let's see. But see, our praise will bring us into the presence of the Lord. Your praise is powerful. So when we say get up and praise the Lord, it's not just because God wants to hear platitudes. It's not just because God wants you to pat him on the back. It's because praise brings breakthrough in your life. The Bible tells us in Psalms verse, uh, Psalms 100 verse four. Uh, let me read it in the NIV. Do you have it in the NIV? I have it. I just didn't want to turn. Uh, 
I'll go from verse one. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come, come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Verse four, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to, the, thanks to him and praise his name. The Bible tells us that we can enter his courts with praise. In the Passion Translation, I like how it says it. It says, you can pass through his gates with the password of praise. And I liked that because what's cool about that is that we need to understand that praise unlocks things in our life. If you are in a situation right now and you're believing that God would do a new thing in your marriage, been there, right? If you're believing that God would help you to forgive some, some wrong that you've had, if you're, if you're looking for financial breakthrough, healing breakthrough, you are going to have to do more than pray and complain. Because too many of us, sometimes we get in this and we're like, but God, you know, and we have this whole conversation with God about how bad it is. Lord God, this is what I need you to do. And we list off the to do's. God, can you do this? Which is funny. My son, when we, when, when he prays for things, we'll say like, if Cannon is sick, our newborn, we'll say he's not ever been sick by the way, but if he's crying, we'll just say, Cass, pray for Cannon. And he'll say, pray for Cannon. Amen. And I always tell Kobe, we're going to have to actually teach him how to pray because pray for Canon. Amen is not going to cut it. And too many of us are pray for Canon. Amen. And we're adults. We don't know how to pray. And that's okay, guys, because we can learn. We can learn how to pray. And one thing you need to do is you're going to have to praise. You're going to have to praise your way to breakthrough. Whenever somebody comes up to me and they're like, well, how do I forgive this person? The one thing I always say is pray for them. And you can't say, God, I pray they don't die. That's nice, but it's not nice enough. You're going to have to pray. You're going to have to pray thankful prayers, prayers of thanksgiving for the person who hurt you. Prayers of thanksgiving for the husband in your life that you feel like, here's the laundry list of things you do wrong. Stop telling God what he does wrong. Start telling God why you're thankful for him. And those things, you'll begin to see breakthrough in your life. If you, you cannot possibly begin to forgive somebody if you don't first pray for them in real prayers. You have to pray for them the way that you would want someone to pray for you or your kids. And so um, we, we need to be a people who respond with praise. Uh, praise does not change the situation or the person. What praise does is it changes you, right? Whenever... Um, God began to do a new thing in Kobe and I's marriage. What I realized was that I had to stop focusing on what Kobe was doing wrong and start really focusing on how I could do better because I can't change him. God can change him, but I can, I can change me in the very first step that you take to changing anything is to change your perspective. Prayer, uh, praise expands our perspective. And we need to move from being a people who have an 80 to 100 year perspective to an eternal perspective. And this is super important, especially right now. 
because we live in a time where we think in terms of this life, you know, YOLO, you only live once. So we're like, what can we do to make this 80 to 100 years the best that it could possibly be? When God is like, your life is but a vapor. When you put your life on the grand scheme of things, it's going to be so small. When you put your time on earth in the grand scheme of eternity, it'll be like a blimp on the radar. But we allow the things that happen in our life, the unfair, the unjust, the all these things to totally derail us when God is like, man, I'm not done yet. You know, you may not see justice this side of heaven, but that's okay because we have eternity. You may witness people this side of heaven who are, in your opinion, bad people. This person did this wrong. And how are these, like I hear this a lot with in, in concerns of our government. How are they getting away with this? They may get away with it. They may. Different people may get away with different things here on earth, but nobody will escape the justice of God. Even if it's in the next life. And we have to be a people who have an eternal perspective because if we don't have that perspective, then the unfairs and the unjust will take, will completely unseat us from our faith in God. In um, Romans 8, Eight, oh, let me say this real quick. David had an eternal perspective. And that's why whenever his son died and when his, um, when his servants asked him, how are you doing this? Why are you up? Why are you praising God right now? And he said, listen, I can't bring my son back to me, but I can go to him. And that's a man who has an eternal perspective, right? So you can say, listen, I'm going to hurt for a lifetime, for an earthly lifetime, but I'm going to rejoice in eternity. And so that's, that's the perspective we need to have. Romans 8, 18. Paul had an eternal perspective. I don't think I went to that one. Do you have it? Consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul had an eternal perspective. He was not living in the 80 to 100 year perspective. So for Paul, when he says our present sufferings, that sounds really simple, right? Man, I was late to work today. That's a present suffering. I got stuck in traffic. That's a present suffering. Um, Man, I'm sick. That's a present suffering. When Paul says present suffering, he means I've been thrown in jail today. Or he means my friend just got murdered for their faith, faith in God. When Paul says present sufferings, he's not thinking in the 21st century first world problems. He's thinking in terms of actual real sufferings. And yet still he can look in the face of his sufferings and say, but it's not even comparable to what will be revealed to me in, in, in us through eternity. Um, John 16, 33, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace in this world. You will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Listen, this world is hard. This world 
no one leaves earth unscathed. And if you think that they do, they don't. You know, and we can't compare sufferings because what's suffering to you may not be suffering to another person. But even if we did, it doesn't matter because we know that God works all things out for the good of those who have been called according to his purpose. And so we know that in this world, even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of suffering, we can take heart because God has overcome the world. Jesus has. Um, Jesus knew if we were going to be in victorious, we would need to enlarge our perspective and we would need to be able to look past our present sufferings. So we can't talk about suffering without talking about Job, unfortunately. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Job, um, verse 39 or chapter 39. So Job is a near and dear to my heart. Um, Kobe and I, were married when we were in our early 20s. We were married for a year and a half. We got divorced. Sorry, honey. And uh, he says, I hate it when you talk about me whenever uh, you speak because I always feel like I'm going to get tarred and feathered. <laughs> but <laughs> anyways, so we were married for a year and a half. A year and a half, we got a divorce. And we were divorced for seven years and got remarried. In that season of early divorce, I remember God was, God was so good to me, but, um, so much of what got me through was revelation from God, revelation of love, revelation of provision, revelation of worth, all these different things that the Holy Spirit was revealing to me in that season were things that allowed me to not not battle unforgiveness, to not battle rejection, to not battle hurt to a degree that would, um, derail my future. But, uh, one of those revelations was Job. And I remember it was a Thanksgiving. It was our very first like time to be apart. And we were, it was Thanksgiving was coming up. Well, Thanksgiving is a really big deal in my family. We always go out of town. My whole family like comes together. So it's like this really big, like family reunion. And I did not want to go. It's because, you know, I was in the middle of this and I didn't want to have to face people. I didn't want to have to face the, it's going to be okay's, the we love you's or the what happens. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to stay home by myself. I am not going to go to this. So my family went, I was home alone and I did what all lonely people do. I went to the movies by myself. And, um, so I was like, you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to see this movie. I don't even care about this movie, but I didn't want to watch a love story and I didn't want to watch a comedy. So here I am sitting in secretariat. Like, why? Why am I watching this movie? I don't even like horses. <laughs> and uh, I remember the very beginning of the movie, it starts with quotes from Job. And it's the part in Job when God is speaking to Job and he's telling Job how he created all of these things and the power. And he's talking about the horse specifically. So he's talking about the power that he put inside this horse and how he allowed this horse to run and all these things. And, and I was like, I didn't even know that was in the Bible. And, um, so I go home and I'm like, you know, throwing myself, I had been throwing myself a good pity party for a week or so. And I had every reason to throw myself a pity party. And, um, then I go read Job. And this is what I read, and it's Job verse 
Well, let's start in 38. Verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm, and he said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstones while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? And God goes on for two chapters just berating Job who had been complaining. Listen, God will let you prayer complain for a long time. He's really good like that. He will let you, he can handle your why gods. He can handle your I'm mad at you God. He can handle all of that stuff. But when he speaks, know that he's not going to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. (laughs) You're right. I messed up. I did not know that you could not handle this. I did not know this was coming. God's not going to say that to you. God's going to say, hey, I see you. I know that this is happening to you. I hate it for you. I don't like that this is happening to you. I'm still in control. I've still got this. I still need you to, to put your trust in me. And I was doing that whole, God, but do you see what he's doing to me? You know, Lord, I trusted that if I prayed about who I was supposed to marry, that I wouldn't end up in divorce. But here I am. And God was like, Taylor, I'm bigger than that. And I can't even tell you that God said anything specific to me in this, in this time when I was sitting alone on my bed reading my, my Job and just crying. But I know that I started in anguish, in, in, in heartache. I started reading, and that's where I was. And when I was done reading, I was in awe of who God is. And that's what changing your perspective does. It does not often change your circumstance. Sometimes we need to change our perspective before our circumstances are ever righted. Or maybe they never will be. Some things will never be right this side of heaven. But you can live in a perspective that allows you to walk in peace and comfort and joy. You can have all of those things because God is bigger than what you're facing. He's got this. He's not surprised. He was not surprised by what happened. Um, am I even on the right? So Job 40, this is when Job finally gets a chance to speak. So Job had been for the first, Job is a hard book to read. It really kind of is because there's a lot of talking. And so when Job was talking, he was doing a lot of, God, you messed it up. I was not, I was really good. I did all the right things. I didn't break your commandments. I always said I was sorry. I kept up with repentance. I did all those things. And still here I am suffering. And uh, when he answers, after God goes on and he, this is the one who, this is for chapter 40, 40 verse 2. The one who contends with the Almighty, correct him. Let him who accuses God answer him. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. 
How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer twice, but I will say no more. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man and I will question you. And he goes on again. So the first time God speaks to Job, Job is left speechless. And the second time God speaks to Job, when Job responds, this is verse uh, chapter 42, verse 1. I know, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours will be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. Verse five, he says, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I really like the way the message says this. It says, I admit, once I lived by rumors of you, now I have it all firsthand from my own eyes and ears. And that's kind of what God was showing me. If we're going to be a people who change our perspective, who are able to shift our perspective, we're not going to be able to stand on what so-and-so said about God. We're not going to be able to stand on the rumors that we heard about God. We're going to have to get down in the dirt and know God ourselves. We're going to have to cry and we're going to have to probably say the things that are hard. Lord, this hurt when this happened. God, I need healing in this area or whatever. And we need to be able to hear God when he responds. And whenever... Whenever we encounter the presence of God, it fixes our perspective. I think Stephen Furtick put a quote on Facebook this week that I thought was really good. He said, sometimes we think the presence of God is what's going to fix our problems, but really it fixes our perspective. And whenever we are in the presence of God, our perspective shifts and it changes. Um... I want to look at this. It's a verse one, or it's chapter one of Job. There are some things that happen in the very first chapter that I think are worth looking at. First of all, this whole conversation between God and Job of how Job even comes to be, to be persecuted is pretty crazy because it says, God's in heaven and and the angels and Satan come to heaven and they have this conversation with God and it's recorded here. It says in verse six, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan. Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And then in verse 9, Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge of protection around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands, and that his flocks and herds spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Very well. Everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. And I think this is 
One, we learn that the devil was roaming around the earth. And I can be like, well, what was he doing? Like, whenever I think of roaming, I'm like just going back and forth. But whenever you read 1 Peter verse 8, when it says the uh, 1 Peter 5 verse 8, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. So when the, the Bible, when Job says that he was roaming around the earth, he wasn't innocently roaming around the earth. He was looking for people to devour. That's the thing, the first thing we learn from Job. Two, we learn that obedience does in fact bring protection because we learn that Job was obedient to God and Satan himself says to God, have you not put a hedge of protection around Job? You bless everything his hand touches. I can't touch him. I can't get to him. You're going to have to lift your hedge of protection for me to be able to do that. And then we learn that there is such thing as a permissible will of God. That, that God does not will bad things to happen to you. But sometimes for reasons we cannot understand, God will allow you to go through things that are hard, that do not make sense. And they're not because you did something wrong. And that's what we learn from Job. Job, through no fault of his own, unlike David, we know that David stepped out of the protection of God. That didn't happen to Job, right? Sometimes good, good things happen to bad people. And sometimes bad things happen to God's people. And it's not because God wills them to happen, but it is something that he is going to use for your good if you don't give up. And what I liked about the devil saying, he's looking for whom he can devour. The devil took everything from Job. He took his livelihoods, all of his prosperity. He took it all. Then he took his kids, all seven of his kids he took from Job. And then later he takes, he takes Job's peace. He takes Job's comfort to where Job is saying, I just want to die. It would be better had I never been born. That's where he leaves Job. But what I, what I realize is that the devil wasn't after any of those things. He didn't care if Job was prosperous he didn't care if Job had seven kids. He didn't care if Job was happy, healthy, or whatever. He was not throwing all of those things at Job just to make him miserable. He was trying to go after Job's faith in God. Whenever the devil says, I'm looking for who I can devour, that's what he's after. He's after your faith. And sometimes we get to these places where we don't know why things are happening to us. Like we can look at this conversation between the devil and God. And we know that God was allowing Job's faith to be tested. And we know that I think God was trying to prove something both to Job and to Satan. One, you think, Satan, that you know how they'll respond. You think you know the heart of man, but you don't know the heart of man who loves me. You don't know that man. I know that man. God knew how Job would respond. Satan didn't. 
That's the other thing we learn. Satan can't read your mind. He doesn't know how you're going to respond to any anything. He's just going to throw everything in the kitchen sink at you and hope it sticks. Hope it unseats you. Hope it makes you doubt God. Hope it makes you curse God. Job's wife said, why have you not cursed God? And just be done with this. His friend said, why haven't you repented? Obviously, God would not be putting this on you if you hadn't done something wrong. Job knew that it was not so black and white as that. That sometimes life is not that black and white and that hurts. But God does not leave you alone in that. And if you stick through it, you will see redemption. You will see the, the restoration of the Lord. But um, what I liked about that was that Job's faith had to grow deep. And I heard somebody say that um, whenever there's a drought, that trees, trees often have to dig their roots further into the ground because they're looking for water. And some, sometimes we find ourselves in those places in life where it feels like we, like we have nowhere to go, where everything feels unsure and uncertain and I don't know how to respond to this. We need to be like those trees. Dig your roots deeper into God, right? So that way, whenever adversity comes, you won't be easily unseated. Um, the other thing that I liked, you guys can stand up. I know that was really fast. You're welcome, uh, kids church workers. But... um. The other thing I really liked was that I was thinking about it in a, I was thinking about it in terms of mine and Kobe's relationship. So I said we were divorced for seven years. So in that seven-year time, um, I know it's cool that we got back together and we're married now and we're happily married and we have a better relationship now than I even thought we ever could. Um, I'm grateful for that and I love that. But I truly believe that the miracle that God did in our life was not bringing us back together. I believe it was how he healed us while we were apart. And um, one of the things that God did in that time was he showed, I, I mean, I'm going to speak for you, Kobe, who he was to Kobe. Kobe found out who God was to him in that season of separation and in my life, God showed me that he will never leave me nor forsake me. And everybody else in your life can just drag up and run. And God will still be there. And there are truths that you learn in suffering that you cannot learn any other way. And so sometimes, even though it doesn't make sense, and I wouldn't wish our story on anyone, but... Sometimes I look back at that time in my life because I, I, because I broke to God. I had some of the most rich encounters with the presence of God in that season. The Bible tells us that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And if you are in a place of brokenness, you need to turn to God. Because you may look back on that time you know, five years from now and go, wow, I, I almost missed that. 
I almost missed that. I don't want to go back there. I don't want to relive that. But what I had with God in that season, I would not trade for the world. I would not say, please, God, that that was okay. I could do without that. Um, but what I liked about that was that God, when Job had that revelation of who God was, God had already restored Job. Had he never done anything else, that was enough. But yet God went further. And God gave him back everything that he had that was taken, and it was better than before. And we have to be a people who live on that perspective in this day and age because you're going to meet people. You may yourself experience heartache like that. You may need to remember when you face hard times, I need to get up and praise the Lord. Or you may meet somebody who needs that word, right? You can't be that if you're on a wish-washy faith yourself. If the devil is out to say, you know what? I don't know why bad things happen to good people. Or, you know, I don't think God can restore that because you're not living on an eternal perspective or you don't yet know who God is. So we just need to be a people who find out for ourselves who God is and not live on the rumors of someone else. Father God, I just lift up this day to you in this time, God, and I thank you so much, Lord, for who you are in our life. God, I thank you that your word says that when we draw near to you, that you will draw near to us. God, I thank you that that is a promise that you did not put us on this earth, God, so that we could be distant, praising people of you, Lord God. But you put us here, God, and you want a relationship with us. God, that you not only want to know us, but Lord, you want us to know you. And I pray, God, for each heart in here that's hurting, God, I pray that you would just be the prince of peace in our life, God, that we would come to know you as that. Lord God, I thank you that in every season that we face, Lord, that you are the I am of that moment, of that season, God, that you are what we need in every season, in every area. I pray, Lord God, that you would empower us to be praising people in a time of turmoil. Lord God, that our praises would bring breakthrough in this nation, in our families, in our homes, in our finances, in our marriages, and in our health, Lord God, that you would teach us how to praise to our breakthrough. And I just pray protection over us as we leave and we go and enjoy our day and our family. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you chose to tune in with us this week. We hope that today's message left you challenged, encouraged, and inspired. If you enjoyed today's message and would like to hear more, you can find us wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts, as well as on YouTube. Thanks again for listening to the DCC Sermon Podcast.